Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Health Upgrade Podcast. So JP and I are very excited about our guest today. And this is a very wonderful kind of fun side note. I've known about Sterling for a very long time, just by virtue of being in the vagus nerve circle. And I've heard his name, I've heard it from patients and clients of mine, and he's heard my name. And this is our actual first meeting, which is really exciting. And it happened through JP, which is obviously our wonderful connecting point here. So we're really honored to have Sterling Cooley here with us. Thank you for having me, guys. I got just happenstance, was able to communicate with JP and I was like, wow, like he was telling me a whole bunch about his work with the vagus nerve through Electrocore and with the Gamma Core, the True Vega. And I was like, damn, this guy knows his stuff. So that was cool. And then he offered the invite for this podcast. And I was like, I don't typically do podcasts, but this would be a no brainer for me. So, and as well as you, you know, I have clients that have worked with you and vice versa. So I've heard about you for years now. So it's very cool. That's very exciting. I love it. We're honored to have you here. I was pretty hyperkinetic on that first call. So (laughs) um, I'll try to be a little more reserved and calm on this one. That's all good. I can follow along. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Okay. So in doing so, let's hear a little bit about your story. You don't have that typical, I went through the functional world clinician story. I want to know how did you get to where you are right now being Vegas nerve guy? Yeah. Well, I think it started in the late 80s. I was born, first of all, and then grew up, went to school. So very, very strange tale of how I ended up in the Vegas nerve world at all. But it really started with, I would say, the common thing that kind of brought me here was with ultrasound. So back in 2013, just getting out of college, I have a mutual friend, Stuart Hamroff, who's an anesthesiologist. He talks about the theory of consciousness a lot. And he was doing some research on, can you influence the brain through ultrasound? He published a study on it and he found that like ultrasound with a GE probe, a logic probe held on the prefrontal cortex right in the temple can stimulate the orbital prefrontal cortex and induce a state of altered consciousness, similar to drinking what he described as a dry martini. And I was just like, okay, that's interesting. You can get people to be feel drunk with ultrasound. And I had some experience doing electrical engineering work with ultrasound for years going back. So I made it was like, okay, this sounds like an interesting direction. I'm just going to start going down. It wasn't six months later until Stuart Hameroff came to Berkeley and I met him at UC Berkeley. He got to see my ultrasound equipment that I had built and designed. And he's like, do you want to make this stuff for us? Like we need a contractor to design ultrasound systems at in Tucson to continue this research. And I was like, of course, absolutely. So I flew out there. That started a whole journey with designing ultrasound platforms for brain stimulation And it wasn't until 2016 that one of the, I guess the PhD students there, Jay Sanguinetti, who's really intelligent, he's running an ultrasound company right now down in Silicon Valley for, you know, stimulating the brain to induce altered states of consciousness for the purpose of meditation, which is really exciting. And he's got a, you know, great team down there. It was Jay Sanguinetti who was like, we had the ultrasound probe in a, we were in Napa for some lunch meeting 
And he's like, why don't we try stimulating this part of the ear? There's a something called the vagus nerve that runs through here. And I was like, okay, interesting. So I kind of like tested it with the gel and then held it there. It's kind of has this like, you can hear the sweeping frequency for this ultrasound probe. And, you know, I didn't really know what to look for. I wasn't experienced with parasympathetic stuff to that degree where I knew what I was trying to find. And then he used it. He's like, oh, it kind of tickles in the ear. And then we had a woman there, Karen, and she was like, she did it. And she looked like almost immediately having like an orgasmic like experience right in front of her eyes. And she was like, <sighs> like just really deeply breathing. And I was like, how the hell is this happening? Like, this is insane. And, you know, just kind of went over my head. I was like, guys, we got to get to lunch soon. So and none of that really registered with me too much until, you know, it was a few months later when I actually tried it on myself, on my neck. I did the ultrasound right on the neck, on the carotid artery area. And at the time I was doing Wim Hof breathing as well. So I was experimenting with Wim Hof, which is very like you know, a lot of diaphragmatic breathing, over-oxygenation, and then there's the Valsalva squeeze, which they do in like POTS clinics to kind of help people with dysautonomia. And I did the Valsalva squeeze, breath in, then I squeezed like my chest, you know, ugh, I tried to hold all that air in. And then I also had an ultrasound device right on my neck while doing that. And what happened was I almost immediately induced a vasovagal response, which was not typical from just Wim Hofing. So this is something more. And what happened was I would consider it an out of body experience, some kind of a very altered state of consciousness where my eyes seemed to be open, but I was in a transported to what looked like a white bright room with like almost grid lines going through it. And then my mind transported me to what seemed to be like a waking dream, like a lucid waking dream. And I found myself literally in Central Park in New York City, hearing crystal clear, seeing people walking, you know, a woman with her baby carriage walking through the park and dogs and everything. And so it was like hyper real. And that seemed to last for 30 minutes, essentially. It seemed like I was there for an eternity. And then I started to come back to reality. And I was like, like you know, your eyes open from being open and you're like, where the hell am I? And I was like, you know, my house up on San Juan Island. And I was like, what the hell just happened? I was terrified. I literally thought I almost killed myself. No joke. I was like, I will never tell anybody this story. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? This is super irresponsible. But I was just trying to induce a change in my HRV. That was it. My friend made a, you know, the leaf that's like this little device that goes on your chest. Rohan, great friend of mine going back to, we worked side by side in China. And I was like one of the early supporters of the product. I was just like, number go up. How do I make that happen? And it, that was literally the impetus to try this on my vagus nerve. And then from there, I was just obsessed. I was like, what the hell? What is this thing called the vagus nerve? And so it's been pretty much nonstop, 24-7, dig, dig, dig. And it's allowed me to cover almost every aspect of human health just by looking into this. So yeah, I would say that's the genesis of it was me almost killing myself, I think, or something with a ultrasound device. You said you felt that experience of being in Central Park mm. for what seemed like about a half hour. Mm -hmm. How long were you actually in that altered state? Did you happen to just check with the clock? Was it yeah. one timing or, or was it sort of one of those things where you had a half hour, but you came back and it was only two minutes on the clock? 
It was a like that. Yeah. It's what you would expect. It was less than five minutes, actually. Time passage. Yeah. Interesting. Very profound. Yeah. No <laughs> kind <kidding>. of <freaky. laughs> So there's obviously a lot to unpack in that story. Mm. Tell us a little bit about ultrasound and the use of ultrasound to stimulate the vagus nerve, because there's conflicting data out there as to whether or not the vagus nerve fibers that are the target fibers for electrical stimulation can be stimulated in the same way. And let me be a little more articulate. Mm. One of the things that's really important to do when you're stimulating the vagus nerve, because the vagus nerve is actually hundreds of thousands of fibers mm -hmm. and there's different fiber types. You want to make certain that you're stimulating the fiber type that is the A fibers, the A delta fibers, et cetera, that are in the afferent direction, bringing information up into the brainstem. Whereas there are also C fibers, which are the ones that trigger that vasovagal-like response that you're talking about, syncope, cardia, passing out, things like that, and difficulty breathing. Those fibers have a different electrical depolarization threshold. So with electricity, you can be really specific and only stimulate the fibers that you want. Whereas the deep carotid massage that we've talked about on this on this podcast, but where you use your thumb and you dig in, and you rub the carotid artery, thumb's not a very you know discerning medical instrument. So you're going to stimulate all the fibers using ultrasound, which is effectively pressure. Is there the ability to stimulate only some fibers versus all the fibers because you want to avoid those C fibers? And and obviously ultrasound is way more discreet and discriminating than a thumb. So I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. is, is it possible to do that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think there's certainly an aspect of pressure from ultrasound. It's high frequency sound waves just oscillating back and forth and kind of wiggling stuff. I like to use the metaphor of, you know, if you've ever seen one of those underwater documentaries where there's those big sea kelp beds that swing like this and mm -hmm. the waves go through, that's kind of like ultrasound, how it passes through tissue and the, you know, in a nice kind of metaphorical way. So with ultrasound, I think as of today, we're at a rudimentary early stage of discrimination, but not in the far future, we'll probably have the ability to either through an implant or a very intensely engineered device place it on the neck, it can discriminate between different bundles of the vagus nerve and selectively target it that way. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's potential for, so if you think of a like a 128 channel ultrasound probe up and down, it's like stacked transducers. You can hit it like, I'm thinking of that movie, Close Contact, Steven Spielberg, that old one where they communicate with the alien species oh, and they have the lights, dun, yeah, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Close encounters. Yes. So there's a way of which you sweep the ultrasound in either this direction, you sweep or down. And so by sweeping up, you can actually engage the neural pathway like very quickly and induce, it's kind of like a diode in electricity electricity where you limit the pathway of electrical activity only upwards by stimulating in that pattern. So that sweeping ability, I think it is a rudimentary thing we found to selectively stimulate up. So you can focus that way. So there's some interesting stuff you can do there. That's I would say the other do. area of note here with ultrasound is probably going to be more organ specific ultrasound. Whereas when we talk about electrical stimulation, you know, you can do an implant in the neck, you can do a handheld device like the gamma core, you can do ear clip stimulation. 
there's a company Galvani Bioelectrics, which is owned by Google, and they're doing an implant now that goes to the spleen, the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. So that's, you know, that gets invasive, right? And electricity can't necessarily penetrate through the rib cage externally, transcutaneously yet. It could in the future, but ultrasound is really good at getting through the rib cage area effectively. And we found that ultrasound can stimulate the splenic anti-inflammatory pathway through the rib cage. So that is being looked at as a really effective kind of like vagus nerve organ specific stimulation thing to reduce TNF alpha. It could take place of a lot of biologics that people are very dependent on for Crohn's disease and rheumatoid arthritis and you name it. So yeah, I think ultrasound is definitely in its earlier days for this, but the progress I think is going to be pretty fast paced in the next five years. So that's three different topics that you just brought up that I'd love to tackle. And I'm not even sure we could have the time, but let's give it a shot. The first is the idea that you could be organ specific Mm -hmm. in the stimulation of the vagus nerve. And that's something that Kevin Tracy, who of course is the pioneer in this space for the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway because of his discovery of the splenic cholinergic Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory pathway. He's done a lot of work trying to look at the structure of the vagus nerve. As I said, there's hundreds of thousands of fibers that go through the vagus nerve on both sides. I think on the right side, there's close to 200,000 fibers. Left side's a little less. But what he's done is tried to anatomically define, you know, sort of radially as you go around the vagus nerve, looking at the various different nerves, which ones go to which areas in the brainstem and which ones go to which areas of the body in terms of organs and Mm -hmm. trying to radially change you know, the stimulation pattern so that one area is getting stimulated, but another area isn't. I have personally been fascinated by that, but at the same time, somewhat critical of it. And my reason for saying that is that I believe that at least the research that we've done and that we've seen is that when the stimulation goes up into the brainstem, it scatters. So there isn't a lot of differentiation radially in terms of where the signal goes. It goes bilateral, it goes everywhere, and even small amounts of stimulation upregulate the neurotransmitters that you're trying to affect. Mm -hmm. But peripherally, I view it sort of like a symphony. You can't simultaneously, if you're healthy, you can't simultaneously be in fight or flight mode in your heart, in rest and digest mode in your lungs, and your spleen in sleep mode, and your stomach in, I don't know, sexual activity mode or whatever, they don't all go in different directions. If they do, I think you're quite ill. (laughs) And you may have done that to yourself when you sent yourself to Central Park. But I don't think I was in all those states at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe the woman with the ultrasound in her ear was. but, But I think where I'm going is that I think you need a symphony. You need that conductor that is keeping all the different instrument areas playing in the same tune, in the same melody, in the same harm, you know, rhythm to keep Mm -hmm. it sounding good. And I think your vagus nerve is a really big part of that. And so as a result, my concern with trying to stimulate only one organ, which I think Galvani is trying to do, as you said, trying to stimulate only that, I think in the long run, I'm not certain that that's going to be as successful because I think the other organs are going to sort of rebel against that and continue Mm -hmm. doing what they're doing. And it's not going to be harmonious. 
So I'm a big believer in sort of the stimulate the vagus nerve and do it, get as many fibers as you can, get all of it so that you Mm -hmm. move the whole body in that direction. The entire system moves in the direction you want, not just a portion of it. Because as you said, the kelp, I love that kelp analogy, the kelp Mm -hmm. sort of swaying, Mm -hmm. they all do it, you know, in unison. And sort of, so I like the idea of if you can do that with Mm -hmm. ultrasound, that would be a really cool way of doing it. So that was my comment on the first part. Second was, is- That was just the first part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this was, second one's really simple. One of the things that we've had to be concerned about is if a person has carotid artery plaque. So if you've got atherosclerosis in your carotid artery, you've got plaques that are fragile and you don't want to apply pressure. So one of the things that we've you know contraindicated for is if the person has known carotid artery stenosis or plaques, not to use vagus nerve stimulation. And that's not because electricity would cause that because electricity is not causing pressure. It's moving ions and other things. But carotid artery, you know, rubbing the carotid artery could clearly dislodge a plaque. And I would imagine that ultrasound might be able to do that too. And so have you had any concerns about that? Have you seen that? Is there contraindications uh, for the use of ultrasound in the neck that way that you're aware of? Yeah, very aware of it, definitely from very early on. Even when we're doing brain stimulation here, with the neck, especially with the carotid sinus artery where it diverts in the carotid area, there's a lot going on there. If there's a buildup of plaque and you dislodge it, it could cause a stroke. So yeah, absolutely a very serious area. I would say that in really deep diving into the literature to just see like, what does the research show? What are the meta studies showing? Like what is really possible here? And given, so if you think about like, you know, just primary care, you go in, you say, I have some kind of a, maybe lightheadedness or some kind of a indication that there might be some artery buildup, or, you know, they want to check your carotid artery with an ultrasound scan. They found that the benefits of early detection with ultrasound of something of that nature, you know, maybe like a stenosis or like a closing of the carotid artery or something like that, that the benefits far outweigh the potential risks of dislodging anything. And so they literally said, unless there's like absolute clear cut evidence of a large buildup that you shouldn't not do an ultrasound scan of the carotid artery. So I think even in real, you know, actual care in a hospital, it's very much a very safe thing to do. Obviously, because then you know you're in a hospital already to get the care. I think at home it's a little bit different, especially. So yeah, it's definitely a very serious area. Anytime you're doing with the neck, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I would say generally speaking, it's extremely rare. I mean, and it's really actually really difficult to, you know, a lot of doctors will publish any kind of accidents that happen. Mm-hmm. It's exceedingly difficult to find any real clear-cut case of that actually happening. Well, it's obviously great. written that it's possible. But I don't think I've really seen any kind of like, like this is a clear cut, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. So, um, and I think that that makes sense. It goes back to what I was saying before, you know, you can do it with your thumb, (laughs) but with ultrasound, it's much more refined. It's much more discreet. It's much more Mm -hmm. subtle. And so yeah. I could see that. I just was asking because I know that it's something that's yeah. come up with us. We've never seen it either with electricity mm-hmm. because obviously electricity is not pry- applying pressure, but it does move the neck muscle. So when yeah. you get that tetanus in the in the muscle, that moving mm-hmm. of the muscle, that could cause dislodgement. And we've never seen it either. But I just was wondering whether or not it was something that you were concerned about or thinking about. And it sounds like 
course. You are, but it's not really a concern that has any merit because it hasn't been seen. For the most part, yeah. I just think it's extremely rare. And given, again, you know, given the risk reward, especially for someone who's like, they're really sick, they're chronically ill, they're, they're an insomniac. I mean, what are the potentials here for changing their life, given what is like an extremely rare occurrence? Mostly. You've alluded to a little bit on the patient care side, and I want to, or the client care side, I want to lean into that with you and find out kind of after you discovered the importance of the vagus nerve and kind of how interesting it was for you to go through that journey. Mm. How did you then start working with clients and what were some of the patterns or conditions that you saw associated with this? Yeah, I'd say, so post my, I guess, awakening, maybe you'd call it that. I don't know what that would be called, but post that I was like, okay, I immediately, you know, contacted my friends down in Tucson. I was like, okay, guys, like, Maybe the ultrasound on the brain is one way, but ultrasound on the vagus nerve is potentially another. And so I actually ran a, just a micro study just with, you know, a few, very small population of people. It wasn't discriminatory in terms of conditions. I was just like, generally speaking, we would look for indications of either depression, anxiety, some of these more psychosocial things that we were already doing work with ultrasound on the brain. So we already had kind of the know-how to work with that. Nothing like a, you know, any kind of, I guess, serious medical condition. And yeah, I'd say in those first early months in 2018, that was where we started to determine or detect some of these shifts of where do you typically see post day one of stimulation of your vagus nerve through, you know, through many methods, you know, we're not just looking from one direction, like this could be breathing, this could be supplementation, this could be, you know, any number of practices that you do for stimulating your vagus nerve. And yeah, I would start to see things like really vivid dreams was one thing that almost always came back as like a self-report, really good sleep, less reactivity. Some of these more like subjective numbers, obviously some people who had HRV tracker would say like, Oh, my HRV is in- improving a lot since starting this. So yeah, I would say those would be some of the areas that we would see initially. But yeah, I would just say overall really good, impressive, kind of eye-opening results with just a broad spectrum of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that we did early on is probably six, seven, maybe even eight years ago. So we went over to the UK because we had CE marks for our electrical stimulator. Mm-hmm. And we were looking to see Frankly, we started out looking at economic benefits. How is it Mm. reducing the burden on the healthcare system if people used vagus nerve stimulation? Mm -hmm. And it evolved into something a a lot more because what we ended up doing was a large study of about close to a thousand people in which we asked them, and these were all people who self-identified and could be demonstrated through their medical records to be suffering with multiple conditions all within that sphere of things where vagus nerve stimulation has been looked at. Things like migraine headaches, depression, gastric motility problems, widespread pain, insomnia, um, and other sleep disorders. And what we did was we asked them, we said, listen, you suffer with multiple ones of these conditions. Why don't we look to see whether or not they all could be affected by vagus nerve stimulation? They were all thrilled to participate. They all didn't want to take another pill. They wanted to try something that wasn't pill related. 
And so we started them on this, asking them to do it a couple of times a day. Mm -hmm. What we found was the number one thing that people reported back to us very early on was how much it was affecting their sleep. And while that had been one of the conditions that we were looking at, we didn't realize how quickly that was going to be affected. And I think that was one of the things that we, if I had to point to one thing that was startling that we found was, so you're talking about people coming up and talking about their vivid dreams and how well they're sleeping. Because we talked about that a little before we went on air. We've seen the same thing. In fact, I'll say one thing about that and we'll dive into it a little bit because I know you want to talk about this. One of the people that's close to the company is a former president of the North American Spine Society. He was looking to just see what the product did, described himself one and began using it and called me up on the phone. And he said, listen, I haven't told anybody this, but I've been suffering with real sleep problems for the last 25, 30 years. And I haven't slept like this since I was a teenager. This is remarkable how much of an effect it's having on my ability to sleep. So I went back and looked at it and I know you have too. So you know, without me talking, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found about vagus nerve stimulation and sleep? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sleep, I mean, that's one of the things. So typically when there's a recommendation for stimulation, it's typically because it induces the parasympathetic state. It's very relaxing. It's not necessarily something we want to do right before you jump in your car to go to work in the morning. So I typically say, do it just before you go to bed. Right. So I typically say, two hours beforehand or 15 minutes beforehand, do your stimulation, do whatever exercise, whatever is prescribed to you. And that's when you see them sort of get extremely tired right after stimulation. Then they're like, I need to go to bed. Okay. So then they go, they sleep, they pass out. This is like first or second day of stimulation or, you know, whatever their vagus nerve thing is. And then they wake up eight hours later, like, kind of either a little bit still drowsy, still in that lucid state or like super refreshed, whatever their body needed, I think is what they get out of it. And they're typically reporting like, wow, I had the most crazy dreams. Like that was really vivid. That was crazy. What does that mean? They almost expect me to put on my uh, Carl Jung hat and start giving them, you know, dream interpretation. I'm like, look, that's not my area of specialty. Okay. So if you want to, I gave them, there's an app now online called like AI dream interpreter, which uses the chat GPT AI. And you type in your dreams and then it gives you like some kind of explanation of what that meant. And so now I can at least at a distance, give them some guidance on what their dreams meant. But I'm just like, well, they're just dreams. They happen. Don't think into it too much. But yeah, I guess that's a very typical thing. That's as well kind of, I think, it's like a diagnostic almost of how well their vagus nerve is working in the first place if they get the dreams or if they don't. So if you see with younger in their 20s folks who do stimulate their vagus nerve in the same way as the adults, like I think, you know, I consider 20 year olds children basically, but you know, whatever. I mean, I'm in my thirties, so I'm getting older now, but yeah, they respond extremely well to it as you would expect, just like perfectly black and white on paper, exactly how you would expect. Sleeping like super deep, waking up super refreshed, very vivid dreams. So the healthier your vagus nerve is, the more responsive it is. If you're older and we do the same exact protocol, 
but you don't have those dreams, it's, for me, it's like, okay, there's definitely something wrong with the vagus nerve because we should see, and I think it's an explanation because of the mechanisms of what is probably going on. There's a corollary group called like lucid dreamers. You know, there's like people who they want to wake up inside of the dream and actually operate it like they're in a virtual reality video game. And I think that's really cool. I've had in my lifetime, a one or two or three, maybe lucid moments where I can sit, I can stand in this dream, in this landscape, and then go, I think I want to fly. And my body starts to lift up, you know, you can actually fly. Those are amazing. So I can see why somebody like, I'm going to dedicate my life to learning how to do this. <laughs> and so some people do. And one of the medications that they take is called galantamine. And galantamine is a cholinesterase inhibition compound, just like huperzine A is. And then they also supplement with alpha GPC, which is a choline contributor for that. So really working on the acetylcholinergic system in the brain to try and induce vivid states. So I think that there's clearly a connection between this mechanism. You know, do I have the science to back that up? Kind of. I mean, yes, stimulating the vagus nerve increases acetylcholine. That's the mechanism. But how it induces dreams just like that is, I would say it's pretty obvious. I think it's just pretty obvious. So yeah, I don't know. The vivid dream thing is very telltale sign of the state of the vagus nerve and then does allow us to look at, okay, well, what needs to be done now that there aren't the dreams that we're expecting? Then I say, okay, we need to prioritize cholinergic intake through supplementation. That's like a no-brainer, you know? And people argue about should we take alpha GPC? I actually would love to hear your opinion on that. Should you go with choline by tartrate, alpha GPC, city choline? Should you spend $200 on, you know, little nano emulsion pills or like 20 bucks on the cheaper version? What's the difference there? Or eat, or eat uh, eggs. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Eggs are a great contributor. That's obviously the most natural one. Spinach, walnuts, eggs does come up usually. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but is not to get too off track of the sleeping thing, but if we could talk about the choline, because that's some people might be watching this, be like, I'm going to go out and get some choline today. <laughs> what should I get? You know, well, 90% of people are deficient in choline in the Western world. So that is absolutely something that needs to be addressed. And my preference is always start with diet, start with the natural bioavailable options, eggs, spinach, walnuts. Soybeans in some cases, if people are vegan or vegetarian. But for me, you're going to get it from animal products more effectively, and foods are kind of the best source. That said, where necessary, and this is a big part of what I do is assessing people's sleep, assessing their ability to get into parasympathetic states overall. And sleep is very much a parasympathetic state. I like to, even in the book, I mentioned this, that sleep is the playground for the vagus nerve. It's where it does its work. It's where the recovery truly occurs. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not sleeping well, and we're not waking up rested and energized and ready to go, then we're definitely not stimulating that vagus nerve effectively through the night. And that actually on the sleep piece does correlate with as we age, we tend to become less of a dreamer, right? Our dream rates actually decrease as we age. And so that does link very much to vagus nerve function slowly decreasing as time goes on. On the nutrition side, again, my preference is alpha GPC simply because it is a little bit more bioavailable than bitartrate. And you get this very positive brain function that occurs after with the phosphatidyl version of anything, right? So it's getting in a little bit more effectively. It is more expensive, obviously, 
but my preference would be a GPC if anybody's going down that path. Can I ask just a follow-up on that in terms of my recommendations are pretty much definitely diet first, right? Yeah. Try to eat the choline. Even if you think you're getting enough, you're like, oh, I'm eating 10 eggs a day. If we look at like just the production quality of food these days and the stripping of the soil, I mean, even then, if you think you're getting like, I'm eating a pound of spinach a day, I'm like, is it the same spinach that was existing 50 years ago as today? Probably not. Yeah. So I think a lot of people should probably have a bottle of choline on hand, right? I just think- I will agree uh, yeah, wholeheartedly, like, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So one thing is, so if you look at choline bitartrate molecularly, it's choline and a bitartrate salt to bind it so it's stable. And it's 50-50 mix. So it's 50% choline, 50% bitartrate. If you look at something like alpha-GPC, it's more like a much more complex molecular tail on the choline that helps it get through the digestive tract a lot easier and in the bloodstream and it's more brain available, but it's also only, you know, close to like 20, 23% choline per molecule. So you're at like one fourth, one fifth territory for choline. So you, you know, so if the label says it contains a hundred milligrams per capsule, you're only getting 23 milligrams or so of choline. So do you calculate that in recommending then, you know, you take like four times the dose. So typically 500 milligrams of choline per day, you know, in supplementation territory, does that mean 2000 of alpha GPC? Like how does that kind of work? I like to build it up slowly and I like to be really individual on that recommendation simply because let's say, for example, on the GPC side, on the phosphatidyl side, if somebody has a loss of their gallbladder if their gallbladder has been removed or something yeah we have less bile salts meaning that your absorption rate on fats is going to be down in that case bitartrate is a significantly better option because we don't want to mm-hmm. burden the light base and the bile salts that are present to absorb so i would go in the t- bitartrate for me it's bioavailability mm-hmm. what's getting in effectively and what's not affecting the gut in a negative way big time and i know some people don't respond super well to bitartrate i know some people don't respond super well to the gpc so i'll take historical and specific medical history into account when i'm making the recommendation but it's very individualized and in terms of dosing yeah i like the 500 milligrams daily of choline getting in supplementing cool 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 cool. yeah yeah good good I'm just a big fan of Hippocrates who said, you know, food is your first medicine. So to the extent that you can get it through food, that's the most bioavailable way of getting any of these things into your system. So big believer in maybe breaking the rules that came out, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago about diet and, you know, eat a few more eggs, eat a little bit of animal meat. That's where you get a lot of choline and a lot of other things that are important, tryptophan and and things. Exactly. And just to hit on that point as well, we're talking choline, but we may be missing that acetyl piece, the acetyl-CoA that is produced at the B vitamins in particular. And a lot of us are very deficient in B vitamins in the carbohydrate and fat metabolism side of things and mitochondrial function being a big piece to that. If we are deficient in mitochondrial function, if we have mitochondrial dysfunction that is occurring, which we now know is essentially rampant big piece of every inflammatory condition that we've ever heard of. If that's not happening, then we're not producing or capable of having the B vitamins necessary to produce acetyl-CoA. 
And so adding in organ meats is a great way to improve B vitamins from a food source. And this is where if need be off of organic acid testing, which is something that I love to do. If we notice that B vitamins are deficient, I will supplement in that specific case. And we tend to get really good results hitting the B vitamins, the carnitine, the coenzyme Q10, the pieces that will help the mitochondria to function better. In some cases, amino acids are deficient, so we want to improve amino acid quantities. But I'm not a fan of supplementation long-term. I want it to be there therapeutically in the short-term and then get to a point where nutritionally it's coming in via the food. Yeah, and not to just harp on meat, because I know that there's people out there who are vegetarians or vegans. Beans are also a really good way of getting some of the things that we've been talking about, the B vitamin complexes especially. So I'm a big, I love black beans and, you know, other people like red beans. And I would just encourage people to add, you know, some beans into your diet that'll help a lot. Getting back to the sleep piece though, one of the things that I think we did a whole episode on sleep. Sleep is a very dynamic phenomenon. There's lots going on there. And yes, there's lots of parasympathetic activity. It depends on when during the sleep cycle you're looking. In fact, sleep at the very, very beginning stages of sleep, it's actually a a pro-inflammatory event. You need high levels of, and when I say pro-inflammatory, I really shouldn't use that term. What I should say is there's lots of pro-inflammatory cytokines that are expressed during the early stages of sleep so that you can begin the process with the microglial cells that the, the innate immune cells in your brain to do the remodeling that they need to do in your hippocampus and in other areas of your brain, you know, just because one of their jobs is debris clearance. And what they're doing is they're basically streamlining the network, streamlining the system. They're making your, your brain function more efficiently. So the use of vagus nerve stimulation at night is a really good way of priming that system, not because it's creating inflammation, but because it's getting those microglial cells ready to do their housekeeping tasks. We talk a lot about the fact that when inflammation is present, those microglial cells shift out of their primary job, shift out of doing their primary tasks of keeping everything functioning properly, and they get shifted into going off to fight a war. Uh, What we need to do is get them back home doing the housekeeping and the jobs around the farm that they need to do in order to make certain that everybody can eat. Sorry for sort of mixing in that metaphor there. But so sleep is a really good function of vagus nerve stimulation, or it's one of the things that benefits a lot from vagus nerve stimulation. And there's lots of studies actually very early on in the development of vagus nerve stimulation with implantable devices used for epilepsy. There were like 14 different papers written within the first couple of years talking about, hey, sleep architecture looks so much better after vagus nerve stimulation. People are sleeping actually less, but waking up more refreshed. Now that they can dig into the architecture more, they're spending more time in deep sleep and spending less time asleep overall, and yet waking up with so much more alertness, so much more you know cognitive functioning, optimized. So I'm a big believer that vagus nerve stimulation, one of the best benefits you get is that great night of sleep. Totally. The effects of it are cumulative as well. So it does increase as you use it over time, which is really important to plug in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a client right now who just started and she's tracking her sleep, you know, with a, I think a Fitbit, not an aura ring or anything like that. But yeah, prior to starting, it's just, you know, sleep for six hours, one minute of deep sleep, 
<laughs> no REM, nothing. Three days in, it's like 59 minutes full of deep, 49 minutes of REM, same amount of time, but waking up feeling a lot better. And so certainly I think that's like the sweet spot. And it's so funny. She had tried so many sleeping pills. I think she had literally exhausted all the potential sleeping pills you could take Ambien, Xanax, you know, whatever kind of cocktail her doctors could throw at her. She's like, I've tried for five years to try to find the cocktail to do this. And it turns out that my vagus nerve was the secret. It was the secret to fixing this problem. And so she's completely off any sleeping meds, sleeps deep, sleeps restfully. Now she's taking on more projects. You know, she's a mother. She's got all kinds of stuff going on in her life. She's got to tend to and sleep has to be optimal. So that's a great, I'd say that's one of the most exciting effects specifically of VNS. I mean, besides the whole host of other stuff, but as far as that, you know, you spend one third of your life sleeping. And if you get optimized for that, then I think that's well worth the, uh, whatever the cost of any of these tools are. I mean, you know, it's like any of these tools or any of these interventions, they're a small investment, but for the benefit you get for the time you have being alive, I'd say there's really no comparison to good sleep versus, you know, saving a few bucks here and there and sleeping terribly. So anyway, that's my little CTA. If you have sleep issues, <laughs> definitely give it a try. It's out there. So yeah. Couldn't agree more. In fact, I think of the fact that sleep is one of the cornerstones of thinking clearly, feeling good, levels of anxiety, energy levels. I mean, digestion, all of those things benefit so much just from getting good sleep. So I know mathematically we've done the statistics and we've looked at this. It isn't necessarily that sleep is the problem that drives all the other conditions where vagus nerve stimulation seems to provide benefits. But it is true that when sleep gets better, those other things seem to get better also. So I'm a big believer that if you can use it at night before you go to bed and get a better night's sleep, it's wonderful. But it, one of the interesting things you mentioned earlier, which I, I just want to raise is you said that you don't tend to ask people to do it in the morning. Whereas we've actually found with the vagus nerve stimulation studies we've done that morning stimulation actually enhances alertness. So whereas at night, because you sort of said vagus nerve stimulation gives you what you need. I think that's really true. I think when you use it at night and your body knows it needs to go to sleep, it helps you get there. It helps. It says, okay, all the body systems that aren't aligning with going to bed right now, I'm going to push them in that direction so that you can go to bed and go to sleep and have a great night's sleep. But in the morning, when it's time for you to get up and you've had that rest and you are alert and you're supposed to be alert, it helps your system move in that direction and move to be alert. And that's actually work that's been done by DARPA. So the Defense Advanced Research mm -hmm. Projects Agency spent, oh, well, I think $100 million looking at various different neuromodulation techniques, found that vagus nerve stimulation was really profoundly beneficial on cognitive function. And the studies that they've published have been in, in subjects where they sleep deprive them. They sleep deprived mm -hmm. them for some period of time and then asked them to do a task and stimulated them. And they actually got a heightened level of alertness during that period. Now that you think that sort of conflicts with what I just said, because at that mm -hmm. point you think the person needs to be going to bed, but they do it at the right time in the circadian rhythm so that mm -hmm. it's daytime. They're supposed to be awake. They're supposed to be alert. 
but they're so sleep deprived that they're just not functioning properly. But yet, given where they are in their circadian cycle, stimulating made them more alert. Whereas if you're in the circadian cycle where you're supposed to be going to sleep, it'll make you tired. And if you remember from those studies as well, the alertness increased acutely, but the memory and the recall months later was significantly better in the VNS group versus mm-hmm. the non-VNS group, meaning that when they did get to sleep, they recalled a lot of that information and they were able to store that information more effectively as well. So mm-hmm. it essentially enhanced your ability to function on that circadian rhythm overall. And there was cognitive effects acutely, but long-term memory improvement as well. Wow. Yeah, that's the part that I just, for me, I, I think sleep is so fantastic. It's so broad-based in terms of the effect that it has on people. But the cognitive function piece, I mean, it just sounds so Star Trekky, you know? I mean, I now have this little tool that I can use for a couple of minutes a day, and I'm smarter. And I'm actually getting, you know, you think more clearly. I'm more creative. I'm more engaged. I've, the brain fog is lifted. I'm feeling so much more alert. That, to me, is you just come to the table as your as your best self when you're there. When you're in that state where you've had a good night's sleep and you're functioning properly and your brain is just driving on all cylinders. Mm. To me, that's the coolest part about it. Totally agree. Well, we have the trifecta here. We're all mega super geniuses sleeping great and you know, <laughs> no fog here. So yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, that's the other thing that's not appreciated so much because VNS typically is used in chronically ill conditions. You know, we're talking about epilepsy or rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease is these that kind of, these make you very sick. So anything better than that is like, that's a miracle in and of itself. But then people who are already above the line, so to speak of the line of health, you know, they're able to not be a full-time jobbed, you know, I'm dealing with my health all the time kind of person. There are innumerable benefits to the mind, to your energy, to your focus, to basically pretty much every aspect that your vagus nerve touches, which is basically everything at this point in time we know. So yeah, that's that's a perfect summation. It's across the board, really beneficial. And that I took a note when you mentioned that about, you know, why the recommendation for before bed. So in my case, typically the recommendation is before bed because of its effects for getting the REM sleep, the deep sleep. And those are pretty tangible shown benefits. However, I would say I estimate at about maybe 5% of the people that I've worked with, they have what's called like a paradoxical reaction to stimulating right before bed. It seems to make them extremely alert. So, you know, they're like, I didn't sleep through the night. I was just restless. It's like their brain was on overdrive, not in a bad way. They were ruminating in a negative way. They're like, what's the next thing I'm going to do? Like they become mega planners. And so I actually had to develop a certain portion of my online course called like Vegas time management. And it's this pretty in-depth thing of like, okay, you have a task. How do you categorize that into a, an aspect, a domain of your life, you know, and then how does that play into your vision for that part of your life? And then the vision for your whole life as a whole is the umbrella. So I'm now teaching like time management because if you have, let's say sloppy systems for managing, like for you, like us three, we're thinking a million miles per minute. A lot of the time we got to like really calm our mind down and stop thinking just to, just to go to sleep for other, we've had to develop systems for that, right? I take notes. I put my stuff into, I use a clickupapp.com for task management. I'm always typing. I have like thousands of bookmarks. So if you have a sloppy system though, 
and then you apply VNS to that person, and now they're generating a hundred new thoughts per day, that actually goes back into stress. It creates a sense of urgency. And so not giving them the management skills for that can, you know, you're not serving them to the fullest degree that you need to. So I think that there's a VNS opens up so many more opportunities than just like, I slept good. I had some cool ideas. It's like, you could transform a whole swath of your life. And I do see that often is like, these can be deeply transformative experiences, similar to like, you know, I think the way I kind of look at myself is a combination of like, kind of a neuroscientist clinician researcher, but also a kind of a Tony Robbins-esque character. You know, it's like I'm giving life advice because, you know, once you solve problems at this lower level, you still have problems at the higher level. And those are more relational or community-based social, pro-social things. And so I'm not just divvying out like, okay, you know, simulate this way, take choline. It's also like, hey, let's talk about some of these relationships you have and how to smooth those over. You know, how to... So it's very interesting. But yeah, so going back to the paradoxical reaction, if I do ever see that, then I'll say, well, great. So something about the VNS in your system makes you more active. So let's switch it to the morning. So I'm, I will almost immediately do that. I'll say, you know, just same thing, but just do it right when you wake up, 15 minutes after waking and see what happens. And that typically kind of solves for that challenge. But I've always found that interesting. Same thing. I I will say about 5% of my patients can't do it before bed, but they'll do it in the morning and the alertness and just their improvement overall is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And there's a specific case I'm thinking about, but I want to hear about yours. So do you have any cases, any specific clients that kind of stick out that have shown significant improvement with vagus nerve stimulation or going through your program? Anything that really was super interesting or very exciting for you? We'd love to hear about fun cases. Yeah. I mean, there are so many. I think I'm north of 500, 600 people that have gone through. So in the last four years. So you know, it's like, I'm at the Oscars. I'm like, I want to thank my producer and I want to thank Tom and Becky, you know, like all these people. Right. But I think one that I think that was really notable was actually really back in 2019. There's all, don't get me wrong. There's notable cases, basically anywhere you look, you throw a rock in my group and just like, boom, like my life's changed for the better. But one that was really interesting was actually more of an exploratory. She was more of an explorer in the application of VNS her name's Christina Helgevold. She's based out of Norway. She shared a lot of testimonials. So she's written all this stuff down too. It's like, she literally was like every single week, like week one, week two, week three. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So in her case, she had some unaddressed trauma from basically her whole life since she was 12. You know, the typical like assault as a child from, you know, we'll just leave it at that. And then a husband who was very toxic, you know, attempted suicide, didn't succeed, became wheelchair bound. She had to take care of him for 10 years. They had a child together. And then he finally did pass and left her with nothing. She was able to remarry with a great guy. But yeah, I mean, she's carrying a lot of that. You know, she was still young. Like she was relatively young in her mid fifties, but she looked quite a lot older too. You know, just, you see it drain, like just in their posture and everything in their face and everything. And so she's like, I want to take a chance on this. You know, I've heard you talk about your initial clients. And so she took the leap. She started 
And she had issues like pretty severe gastroparesis. And so every morning she would have to stay in front of a red light therapy, do a coffee enema, basically spend three hours worth of doing the traditional vagal nerve stimulator things like gargling, humming, gagging herself, just to try and get a little bit of that out. Three hours for like what's I consider like this much of the pie. Whereas, you know, if you stimulate your vagus nerve, it's like two minutes, five minutes tops, you know, and you get like the full meal deal for vagus nerve stimulation. So, you know, people often ask me like, how do I start stimulating my vagus? I'm like, I don't mean you could gargle, you could hum, or you could go right to the go direct. But so in her case, I think it only took her about one week of stimulation and her gastroparesis was gone. It was shocking. And she, yeah, and she focused more actually on the the sacral parasympathetic branch. So the one that innervates the, you know, the lower last mile of gastrointestinal function. And oh my God, I mean, just the transformation night and day. We still have her posts in the Facebook group too. So people can go there and, you know, check it out. Vegas Nerve Stimulation Repair on Facebook. It's like 23,000 people in that group. So it's relatively sizable, but yeah, no, pretty pretty remarkable stuff in her case. And then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I found that to be very, very interesting. And one last thing is on the trauma side was this really opened my eyes to, you know, the impact of trauma and through any stage of life and how that can affect vagal function. It seems to like, if you were traumatized, your vagus nerve is under a lot more pressure it just doesn't seem to function as much. It just, it's like, it doesn't want to, it's like a scared animal kind of, you know, you think of like a shy animal who's been abused in a shelter. It's like the vagus nerve acts just like that. If it's been abused and you have to kind of coax it out of its shell. And when you do that, they're like back to, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. This links back to the polyvagal theory, right? And the entirety of when you don't feel safe after some sort of psychological trauma, the lack of safety pushes you out of that piece of the vagus nerve kind of parasympathetic state and pushes you into the dorsal vagal where you get into that fight, flight, freeze side of things. And yeah. you are spending the majority of your time in a sympathetic state where rest and digest are incapable of functioning. Mm-hmm. And when we are able to provide the, whether it's electrical or whatever type of stimulation to help support vagus nerve function and work through some of that trauma work through and create some more of that safety feeling, we're able to shift back into that rest, digest, recover, restore, rebuild state, that ventral vagal or the vagus nerve as we know it is meant to function. So I absolutely agree with that. I wanted to hit on something that you talked about, this woman who obviously went through a lot in her life and that benefited so greatly with vagus nerve stimulation. You described her as having been through a lot and she was in her mid fifties, I think you said, but she looked a lot older. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm actually spending a lot of time right now researching and studying is the effects of vagus nerve stimulation on the pace of aging. So what you just described is a person who's been through a lot. And as a result, it's likely that her body has aged at a rate faster than the clock has moved. So she is, her birth certificate says she's 53, but she looks like she's in her late 60s. Whereas you've got other people who are, you know, their birth certificate says they're 60, but they're still playing basketball, you know, at the gym, they're still out running, they have 
you know, younger spouse or loved one that they're with, and they just live, you know, as if they're going to live to be 120 years old. Now, obviously, you know, things will intervene along the way. Maybe they won't make it to 120. We want them to. You could study that in a variety of different ways. You can look and actually quantify how much has their body actually aged versus the clock. And I'm wondering the best ways for us maybe to collaborate going forward. You've got a number of people using vagus nerve stimulation. We obviously do as well. Is there a way for us to collaborate to look to see whether or not, hey, how is vagus nerve stimulation changing the rate at which your body is aging? Because, you know, listen, everybody would love to live forever. You know, I always used to say when I was a kid, I'm going to live forever or die trying, you know? So I'm, you know, I feel as if there's an opportunity for the world to learn about longevity and keeping us not just not just alive, like on a machine, barely functioning, you know, I want to make that $6 million man who's, you know, out there, not just living longer, but living better. So extending that health span, any thoughts on whether or not you think we could get, you know, get a team of people who all want to try this out and we could get them to do, we'll figure out the right test to do, and we'll test to see their pace of aging. And then everybody goes on vagus nerve stimulation for six months. And we then look to see whether or not it changed the pace of aging. Totally. hundred percent. hundred percent. get totally behind that. I love it. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, one thing, so I have a great coach. His name is Mike Chu and he's actually comes from the fitness world. You know, he's like one of those guys who trains fitness coaches, how to go on Facebook and, you know, make those kinds of posts of like, you know, the selfie where like, I'm feeling so grateful today because X, Y, Z happened. You know, he's the guy who's a like teaching those guys how to make $30,000 a month, $100,000 a month. He's like really good. He talked to me about, you know, if you think about the progression when somebody comes in to a health program, because, you know, he's talking like getting people traditionally to lose weight. I'm like, I'm not a weight loss guy, but I am a health guy. And there's a lot I can learn from you. You know, I'm like multidisciplinary in that way. And so he said, well, think about this. If you go to college, freshman year is not senior year. You're not learning senior level concepts on your freshman year. And the same thing applies with, you know, it's kind of, he calls it the Harvard effect. And so the way you want to think of a program is in phases. I consider them phases, you know, or stages or graduatory levels. But I actually now began to offer coaching from a phase one, phase two, phase three perspective, where phase one of doing any work with the vagus nerve should be just almost like very like, you know, again, going back to that concept of time management, it's a health category. And now health in this case, when you're ill is just health. It's not like, we're not talking about your body. We're not trying to get you tan, get you six pack abs. That's like a complete non-starter for our program, but it's health. It's like, what are the systems that you do for health? But then once you've mastered that, then you want to graduate to what the next stage is, the phase. So we typically consider the next best step or hop over from the health category is usually the mind category where we start dealing with, you know, again, these are folks in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Alzheimer's, dementia, neurodegeneration is a big risk factor, you know, in our environment, just with everything going on. So I'm like, okay, phase two is much more about the benefits of VNS for specifically the mind. Now you do get those in phase one, but it's not like we're 
you know, I'm not doing neural retraining in phase one. I'm doing choline supplementation and a little bit of exercise and neck strengthening to make sure your atlas bone isn't all jacked up, right? That's phase one stuff. But phase two is gets a lot more fun. We did to get more of the cognitive stuff, more of the emotional work. But I think for a phase three program, that's kind of where you've got to really 10x what you're doing. And I think, yeah, absolutely. Like our focus, our kind of our trajectory is really longevity is like, because again, if you see someone who's 53 and they look, well, they are 53, but they look like they're 67 and then they do VNS for a few weeks and they look like they're 43 or younger. You're like, okay, clearly there's a longevity anti-aging application here. And I think that's exciting. So yeah, I, I think for a phase three kind of option, I'm actually still in the kind of tinkering stages of what that might look like. I have a lot of people who are kind of getting to the tail end of phase two. And I actually want to do something like an in-person retreat, either in like Puerto Rico or Iceland or somewhere like that, you know, that like a one year kind of deal, you know, tracking the biometrics, getting a fully rounded out program that could help them live for forever. Potentially a lot of my clients do want to live they're like, I'm going to make it to 120 or more. I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so I think we can, but yeah, so totally on board. We should definitely, definitely talk more about that. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Would love to do yeah. that. Cool. Love it. I've had an absolutely wonderful time on this conversation, Sterling. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for joining us today. Just before we end, where can people find the Facebook group and give us the details if anybody's interested in connecting with you? Yeah. So we run a really fantastic Facebook group called Vegas Nerve Stimulation and Repair. So we're very focused on obviously stimulating, but also how do you repair it through, you know, we recommend supplementation and amino acid supplementation. So different ways to repair the nerve rather than just like just the stimulation part. And so the, the URL for that is facebook.com slash groups with an S slash the Vegas Nerve. Simple. So and you can go search for it. You can search for Sterling Cooley on the internet. I'll probably show up. I'm a micro minor celebrity influencer in this space. So <laughs> you'll find me somehow. <laughs> Just look at my you're name. Very, you're very humble. <laughs> That's, I know. I am. You're, you're a bit more <laughs> I've humble. been told that. I'm the most <laughs> humble person on the planet. <laughs> Just kidding. I love no, it. But thank you guys so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm sure this will be a very well-watched episode and I would love to come back for sure. So absolutely love to have you back and we'll have an opportunity offline to chat about some other projects and maybe we'll mm -hmm. come back and we'll have an episode all about how those things are progressing. That'd be great. <laughs> I love it. Sterling, thank you so much for joining it. We really appreciate it. I look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you guys so much. We'll continue the conversation. Thanks. Thank you all so much for joining. And if you've gotten to this point in the episode, you've got to listen to an awesome episode and please share this with anyone that you think could utilize this information to help upgrade their health. Have a wonderful day.